the Puck University. Just about to come into break, but there's still one weekend left. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined by Chris Lynch once again. Chris, how are you? I'm very good. It now actually feels like hockey weather in the great north uh, northeast because it's really cold and there was snow here. But it's so cold. I have to harp on that point. It's so cold up here in Boston now. Yeah, I saw a plenty. I, I know upstate New York is farther from Boston than people think, but, you know, it, it snowed in Buffalo quite a bit the last few days, certainly during the football game. It's been it's been cold and kind of snowy in the Northeast. Just a little bit. I mean, I can deal with uh, the temperatures being a bit low, but I absolutely hate wind, and we're getting a ton and a half of wind right now is my big issue with it all. That's the Boston area. It's very windy around there just in general. So it, that's that was always the worst part of winter for me, too. The wind would just cut through you. Yeah. It's, my advice is always to wear an overcoat like you wear on top of a suit because that always usually goes down pretty far and at least protects your legs a bit. Wear many layers, at least four or so. It stacks up and it keeps you a lot, uh, a lot warmer. Provides an actual good shield. So now that we've got everyone in a hockey mood because we're talking about cold weather, I guess we should get right into it. And the biggest story to come out of this last weekend, I think, is the kind of rekindling of the Colorado College and Denver rivalry. Denver's been great. Colorado College has been through some hard times lately, but. Here we are, and suddenly the Pioneers just took two ties in this. It, it was a home-and-home, home, and both games ended in ties, and Friday night's game in particular was a real thriller. With Colorado yeah. College tying it up with seven seconds to go in the game and an extra attacker on the ice. Jeez, a barn burner in uh, Magnus Arena. And this one was even throughout, at least for a lot of it, uh, Denver only won the shot total by any bit of a significant margin in the third. They outshot Colorado 12 to eight. Uh, outshot them 38 to 31 for the game. It's significant, but not that much. They took the same number of penalties for each. Um, Colorado got the early goal, and Denver exploded in the second. That's what they'll do a lot of times: is they'll feel you out early, see what you're going to offer then overwhelm you in the second period and try to make the third uh, as big an advantage as they can, and they just couldn't do it. Your praises of uh, the Tigers for being a, uh, a good team and for, uh, for expecting them to do some things in the NCHC, I, I think you're on to something with them. In the latest USCHO poll, they're in the also receiving votes category, but they're the second highest in that category. So they're knocking on the door of having a number next to their name. I think they earned it. The pioneers have proven they're going to be a contender all year long for the NCHC and therefore for the national championship. They're one of the best teams in the country. They're the defending national champions and to hold them off twice and get two points out of the weekend, tying them both times. That's a real accomplishment for any school but especially for a rival. And to do it at home on Saturday, getting that 1-1 tie despite 38 shots from the Pioneers, that's a great weekend for the Tigers in Colorado Springs and in Denver. Oh, yeah. And Alex LeClaire, the Colorado College goaltender, faced down 37 shots from the Pioneers. Uh, excuse me, faced down 38 shots and made 37 saves. So... I think he's really your star of the game. And it must be noted that the NCHC does shootouts. Colorado College won the first night shootout on the road. Denver won the second shootout uh, also on the road, for whatever it's worth. We're, we're used to Hockey East games in which they don't do that sort of thing. Uh, we just each of them, so thank you for pointing that out. Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, they do shootouts. The road team won each shootout. It's a little bit like the BUBC rivalry where – both the the road teams ended up taking the night, but I'm happy that there are more uh, more rivalries like this. Like the battle for the gold pan is one of the venerable college hockey rivalries. So I'm happy that all the good people in uh, 
in Denver and Colorado Springs got the opportunity to boo and hiss each other. But I need to harp on Alex DeClaire for how good he was. He faced 17 shots in the third period of the second game and made 16 saves and 12 shots in the first period and made 12 saves. This is when his teams got outshot 12 to 5 in the first period and 17 to 8 in the third. That's a case of your goaltender standing on his head and getting you at least a point. These two teams will meet again on February 16th and 17th in another home and home late in the season. So this is it's going to be a big game then, especially for Colorado College, who, as things stand, by that point in the season, they might start looking at the pairwise rankings. Who knows? The way they've been playing, they could make a run. Of course, the NCHC is a deep, deep conference, and if you look at their schedule, there's a lot of numbers on that schedule. Oh, goodness, yeah. I mean, Colorado has to get in contention with really the top Four teams in the NCHC are all worthy competitors. I mean, Denver, Western Michigan, North Dakota, and St. Cloud, they're all phenomenal teams with phenomenal coaching. So I would expect Colorado to have to jump at least one of them, which means that one of these teams is going to have to underperform a little bit as the season goes on, and that's pretty unlikely to happen, I think. Both of these teams are in action this weekend as Colorado College is going to host Arizona State for a weekend series on Saturday and Sunday. They're actually going to be the last game that plays coming into break on Sunday at 2.07 Mountain, so 4.07 Eastern. They're going to be the last people on the ice, really, before the break, and Denver gets a couple of games at home against Dartmouth, so they're likely to right the ship this weekend against Dartmouth, who's really going to be out of their depths against Denver. But it should be an interesting weekend between Arizona State and Colorado College just because that's really the nearest team geographically to where Arizona State is. Yeah, I we'll talk more about this when we do the realignment special, but we need to... We need to see some more teams um, get out there, and we need Arizona State to actually fit in a conference that makes some bit of sense. But that should be a fun series. You're right about the uh, Denver-Dartmouth matchup. Dartmouth is out of their depth against uh, against the Pioneers on the road. I think that will be an easy, easy win, couple of wins for Denver. They'll go into break, and uh, Coach Montgomery will light into his players even if they win by two goals because he's going to ride him like Sean Walsh did. He, he should have won by five goals or something like that. He, that's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to say. So uh, plenty of stuff to look for, for for those games. But I'm not sure what exactly to make of the uh, Arizona State-Colorado College series. I mean, CC is the better team. Uh, Arizona State, if, you, if they want to develop the program, it would be pretty good to at least get a tie out of some of these games. It would be, and it would be nice to establish something with someone, you know, again, that's not necessarily that local of a rival, but it's as close as Arizona State's going to get. So that'll be interesting in that regard So for this weekend. And by the way, Arizona State split at home with Princeton this weekend. They lost 4 nothing on Friday and won 4-3 to in overtime on Saturday. The, the Sun Devils... This season, they're four nine and three, which is probably a little better than most people had them pegged for. They're not exactly going to shock anybody, but but they they've come to play and they're they're starting to try and build something out in the desert. And it's great to see it because, as we always say, the sixty programs we have, they're just not enough. Agreed with that absolutely, and a respectable effort. I I'll take a look at the teams they've beaten. So they've they beat UMass in the opening night of the season, and I've come around to thinking that UMass is a team that will develop into a championship unit. They tied Nebraska-Omaha in Omaha, and they tied Colgate, beat Alabama-Huntsville, and beat Holy Cross on the road. So they've gone into an NCHC opponent and tied them, and they went into the rank of a nationally ranked opponent in Colgate 
and tied them. Didn't beat them, but to come away with some with with a tie at least is very respectable. And to beat UMass at home is also no small thing as well. So UMass Arizona State's going to build something uh, out there. They've got more to go, but I like the fact that they are really really putting in efforts and really building something out there. Well, speaking of Massachusetts Amherst, they won against a ranked opponent on Sunday, beating Union College 2-1. to one. So look out for the Minutemen. The Minutemen are um, they're feisty this year. They're, they've, been, they've been feeding on the bottom of Hockey East for a while. They've seen their, their remote campus in the University of Massachusetts Lowell rise to becoming a power in that conference. And kind of left them behind for a while, but here come the Minutemen with a a big win over Union, and they've been tough all year. Yeah, UMass must note that they did that in Schenectady, so they didn't. Uh, they hit the road, and that that rink and at the Achilles Center is a brutal place to play for opponents. So, um, Ryan Wishow had 31 saves on 32 shots face. So, again, great goaltending will get you to a lot of places. And Greg Carvel is is turning that program around. I, I I saw them beat Providence. They ended up winning 5-2. to two. It was a much closer game than that on a 3-2 to two victory, but they got some empty net goals. But I really think that UMass is, for this season and maybe next, uh, going to be a mid-tier to upset team to within the next three years, I really think the Minutemen will be competing for championships. Amherst has won five of their last seven games, including a home-and-home -home sweep with a Quinnipiac team that might not be ranked, but they've been tough for a while, and they're tough again this year. So, again, look out for them. They're, they're going to be tough throughout the rest of the season, and when the Hockey East schedule really kicks in next year they've played plenty of those games as well but in in the new year when the hockey schedule really takes over they're going to be a team that can upset the apple cart and what we've already established is a weird conference this year yeah merrimack can beat new hampshire uh this season so there's uh there's plenty to take a look at and also worth noting umass in the same week uh, got blown out in UConn and then hits the road, goes to uh, goes up to Schenectady and beats Union. What a funny sport this is. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you were at that Merrimack upsetting New Hampshire at the Whittemore Center game. So can you tell me a little bit about what happened there? Uh, yeah, so I was. I was on Press Row, and they it was, it was a good crowd, which – uh, there were a lot of people who probably missed it, especially the students, because it's right before finals period on campus, which I totally get. Study, do what you need to, by the way, any students who might end up listening to this. Good luck on all your exams. One thing at a time, you can do it. Uh, anyway, so you, uh, UNH scored 32, 33 seconds into the, into the game, and then Danny Taroni was burned out and tired. He gave up four goals on 12 shots and he just plain looked exhausted because he had uh, UNH has played three games in the last five days and five games in the last nine days. They've played so much hockey in really not a lot of time. So Taroni just looked tired. They brought in, um, uh, they brought in a new goaltender, a freshman who's from Bedford, New Hampshire coming off the bench performed very well. Um, uh, Mike Robinson is his name. He made all 12 saves that he needed. He, uh, Marcus Vila and Patrick Grasso cut into the lead very early in the third, and UNH kept pounding. Craig Pantano had a good game. And Patrick Grasso, in the final three seconds, got the puck in the, in the low slot with, on, on his backhand, had a chance to shoot it. The corner of the net was open. He fired it, and it sailed just high of the net. The puck hit the glass as the buzzer sounded, and UNH 
was so close to forcing overtime in a game that they had really struggled through the first two periods or so. So great game, great effort by UNH. Um, I think they're going to get themselves ready. And now that people are actually healthy for them, I think that they will have a, uh, they'll have a real chance at making some noise in the hockey East season as things get going in the new year. Merrimack wraps up their first half against Northeastern. We'll talk, talk about Northeastern a little bit, but they're going to be at home at Lawler Arena on Saturday. They only have to play the one game, and then it's off for the weekend. Northeastern, one of three top ten teams in action this weekend. I mentioned Denver. Miss, Minnesota State is also going to be in action. They're hosting Alabama Huntsville right before the break for themselves, and it's been a great, great year for Minnesota State out of Mankato. Yeah, I they're a man they're a big beefy physical team. They'll beat you up. They'll uh they'll make they'll make things happen. So, it's nice to see a WCHA team that can really compete. Mike Hastings doing a great job. Really Hastings doing a great job and the funny thing about it is there's not really anybody on the team that I on the Mavericks that I look at and think this one guy is a star player. They just, as a unit and a system, play so well. I am very happy for their goaltender. Connor LeCouve was a terrier at BU for a very long time. Uh, was a backup for a while. Didn't get the uh, opportunities, and especially with Ottinger coming back. LeCouve wanted to go someplace where he could get some real playing time, and he's making the most of it in Minnesota State. He's started 10 games, won eight of them, and he's got a 202 goals allowed average and a 912 save with, with one shutout on the season. So I'm very happy to see LeCouve um, getting getting his chances and making the most of it in Mankato. Minnesota State also, in a weird statistical quirk, is one of two non-Ivy League teams, so two teams that have played the full schedule to this point, that don't have a single tie on the season, Massachusetts Lowell being the other one. <laughs> Funny how that ends up working out. Uh, well, Lowell is Lowell's had an up and down season. Minnesota State has just been winning this season. So, again, funny thing this college hockey it uh, can make some interesting uh, quirks out of out of any schedule. And Cornell and Yale are the two Ivy League schools that also don't have a tie on the season, either in or out of conference. So just an interesting little wrinkle. I was just looking at the standings, and I noticed that at this point in the year, to see a zero in any column is pretty surprising. Indeed, indeed. So sticking with hockey's for a little bit, and we just mentioned Lowell, they split with Boston University, and it was an interesting split because they won the the um, home side of the home and home three to two on Friday night, but then when they got to Aganis Arena, it was a beating. It was nine to three, a BU win. For both of these teams have been very up and down. They've proven capable of winning almost any game, but they've lost all sorts of games as well. And you mentioned Hockey East is weird. I don't know how better to illustrate that than a team playing a home-and-home and, home and Lowell wins the first game 3-2, loses the second game 9-3. Yeah, uh, I was at the Friday night game. Excuse me, I was at the Friday night game in Lowell. And uh, that was one of the strangest things I've I've really ever seen because uh, BU looked pretty good for a lot of it. They had a two-one lead going into the third period, and then they committed a lot of really stupid penalties. Phelps got called for uh, for one. Cockrell got called for one. Greenway took a bad charging one, and the the most galling, Brandon Hickey. Yeah, he, he got suspended for this later, but he. Cross-checked a guy into the boards. Who I thought it should have been a five-minute major. It wasn't. Uh, it was just a two-minute minor for cross-checking, and he got suspended afterwards. And the Lowell fans booed him relentlessly. 
as though it were uh, religion or something to uh, to boo him. But the the third goal in the for Lowell was Ryan Collins fired it from the slot. Uh, Jake Ottinger made the save, and it bounced off his pad and then off Brian Diffley's skate, the BU defender's skate, and into the back of the net. So it's one of those games where it was just a fluke bounce that went completely against BU's favor. So the Friday night game was odd enough, and I've not even gotten into any kind of analysis on the Saturday night game. I have to ask you about this with BU, that they've had 283 penalty minutes on the season. That's among the leaders in the nation. It certainly leads Hockey East. Is there a real discipline problem with this BU team? It seems like when they lose it, they lose it fast. Um, I'm not sure. I think there very well might be, but um, it's certainly possible. I mean, Greenway dishes out a lot of punishment. He's going to get called for a lot of punishment as well. Um, Brady to Chuck plays with a physical edge. David Ferentz plays with a physical edge. And I think there's a lot of people who look at uh, the way Greenway plays, how physical he is. And Greenway is very well liked, and they try to emulate him, and they just can't pull it off anywhere near as well. It is a young team in a lot of respects. So uh, there might be. It's certainly concerning, but here's the thing. If you can score like BU can score, then you can get yourself out of a lot of problems. That's absolutely true, and that was true Saturday night when they won 9-3 to and just ran away with it to get to split the home and home and get some much-needed points. You, you want to hear something crazy about uh, that Saturday night game? BU outshot UMass Lowell in the first period 24 to 7. That's not a typo. BU got 24 shots in the first period against UMass Lowell. Held a 3-1 lead after the period. And uh they got and they the funny thing is the next period in the second, they only shot the puck 13 times on net, and four of them went in. So not the best of outings, especially for Tyler Wall. He got the start for Lowell last night, and I think I really think this is the biggest uh, sophomore slump I've ever seen out of a player. Um, I mean, he's he gave up six goals on twenty-seven shots before getting pulled for Chris Hernberger, who for his part didn't have that great a game either. BU was on a roll by that point and it was too late to stop the bleeding but I feel so bad for Tyler Wall. He played incredibly well last season and got them to within one game of the Frozen Four and he's lost the job at least for a while this season. It's been a real rough season for for Tyler Wall and and should be noted a hat trick for Jordan Greenway on the night on Saturday. That was an impressive game for BU and a really rough game for Massachusetts Lowell when 24 shots in the first period is almost hard to imagine except for those that watch Penn State (laughs) yeah and and, you know I'm not used to seeing that kind of uh I was that kind of output I was at the BC Northeastern game which we'll talk about in a moment but I was keeping tabs on BU Lowell and my mouth my jaw completely dropped at a couple points when I saw the shot totals out of the first period and the score at the end of the game it's just you you never expect for anything like that. So just one of those odd things that ends up happening that uh, you can't really account for. Yeah, I, I cover the Tampa Bay Lightning and go to a fair amount of their home games to sit in the press box and watch them play. They take a lot of shots on net. I don't think they've come close to 24 in a period yet. I think they've... They've come close to 20. I know that. They've had some periods where they've really just been ripping on the on the poor goalie on the other side. But 24 is just a ton. That's, that's quite a volume of shots. And speaking of shot totals and shifts in momentum and such, the Northeastern BC game featured quite the shift in momentum. Boston College took three shots in the first period. They took 19 in the second. Yeah, they started to make it their game, but uh, 
uh, it turns out that Northeastern actually has some real consistent goaltending in the form of freshman Caden Primo. Did you ever think that a sentence like that would be uh, used to describe your team? They used to have good goalies back when they didn't have a good team, but not under not in the Jim Madigan era so much where they've had a guy that's been that sensational. And, and Primo did rise to the occasion, stopping 17 of those 19 shots in the first period. And by the time he started letting up goals, Northeastern already had a 5 to nothing lead. One of those two goals that BC scored came on a two-man advantage. Yeah, it was a pretty easy play, honestly, for them to make because uh, Garrett Cesari and Matt Philippe with two penalties at the same time, and they were absolutely unnecessary penalties to take. So I think it's only fair if you do end up giving up a goal because it it, it makes sense and it's understandable when that happens. But BC committed a, enough penalties in the first that they got called for it badly. Adam Gaudet got a five on three. Jeremy Davies, Dylan Sakura got two. And all but one of the Northeastern power uh, goals came on special teams. So it, what a, it, that was a weird game to be at. Condi form wasn't as alive as you would hope for because I think that people had really been amped for the basketball game against Duke, and after the Eagles won that over the Blue Devils, there wasn't as much interest in the hockey game going on because they had already had their thrill of the day. I'll admit, I I had the the basketball game on TV in the background while I was doing something else, and I happened to notice that Boston College had won, and as I walked out of the room, I was kind of shaking my head, and I was like, well, maybe they're going to lose the hockey game now because they're on such a high. Well, you weren't wrong. That was, uh, that was pretty accurate, all things considered, and... Uh... Northeastern is only in second place by two points. If they beat Merrimack, they will tie BC for first place in Hockey East at the break. That's one of the one of the trophies Northeastern's never won. They've never won the Hockey East regular season championship. And to have BC in that mix is a little frightening because I remember 2009 when they all they had to do was take one point on the last day, they were at Connie Forum, they lost, and BC took the regular season title. And that Craig Cronin team kind of collapsed after that. So I, I do remember them getting close to that before, but that's that's quite a, a statement that they're up there in, in that regard. And Northeastern's power play, just to put a button on it, they're second in the nation in power play percentage. They are really impressive on the man advantage or two-man advantage, as the case may be. And they have been for a while. Their their assistant coach, Jerry Keefe, was a guest on this podcast very early on, and still thank you, Jerry. And he's doing a great job out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got to be happy for uh, for the way that that's been going. Uh, I'm taking a look and trying to see who's first in uh, power play percentage this season. Northeastern is second. Clarkson. I'm going to guess Clarkson is first. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, a nationally ranked team. I don't think they're in. Uh, I don't think they're in action in the near future. Are they? No, no, no. But they're yeah. they're not in action this weekend, and it's it's only as far as top ten teams: Denver, Minnesota State, and Northeastern. And Minnesota State, by the way, third in power play percentage. So, nice. there's a running theme. If you and when you have the opportunities you need to score and the teams that do, well, they're they're getting love for it in the rankings right now. And Northeastern currently number eight. So that's single digits. It's it's exciting. So hope hopefully they keep that going on Saturday evening when they play Merrimack. I would say afternoon, but the way the winter works, not so much. It's more like evening at four o'clock. And they're gonna they're gonna have their work cut out for them because as we mentioned, Merrimack can be tough. They're they're going to be a, a bit of a thorn in hockey side. They're kind of in a similar position to Massachusetts, where or Massachusetts Amherst rather. Sorry, Lowell fans. <laughs> that they can they can give anybody a run for their money, and what's going to be 
we've already said weird. It's also a deep conference. Yeah, this is one of those funky years when a lot of people can really make a run at it, and a lot of people can entertain and infuriate people. So, uh, <laughs> Merrimack will give Northeastern a real fight uh, as long as Northeastern comes out ready to play. I think that uh, they can get the they they are more talented. Pantano is a good goaltender in Merrimack's net. He's not Colin Delia, though, at least not yet. And I really think that had Colin Delia stayed for one more season, then Merrimack would be one tier up from where they are. Standings-wise, they're second to last in Hockey East. I think if Delia were here, they would be a middle-of-the-pack Hockey East team and an upset every single night instead of a last-place team with the capability of being an upset team. So. I honestly feel bad for the Warriors that their star goaltender is now in the Blackhawks organization and not in North Andover. That's one of the tough things about college hockey in general. To make the leap, you really need to get the kind of prospects that the NHL teams start to look at and draft. And that's great, but they're only there as long as as they're there. Some A lot of those guys leave early and they can leave a team wanting because they had a star player and that star player left it it speaks to it there's a difficulty in it because you have to recruit those guys but when you build your team around them you you know that they could just leave yeah it's it's a it's a tough business it's a really brutal business but give him credit when he was uh when he was at Merrimack he was a great goaltender and the program is i think better for uh his influence having been there mark Dennehy will will have some some game plan to try and counteract the uh, uh the power play going on uh for northeastern but i think Merrimack is second or third in hockey east for power play percentage not that far behind northeastern so as long as northeastern doesn't make mistakes and doesn't give the Warriors a chance to get into the game, they can, they'll, they'll pull it out, but don't make any mistakes. The Warriors will make you pay. Keeping with the weird hockey East theme, Providence played RIT over the weekend and had two very different games in Providence. On Friday uh, night, eight to three. On Friday night. On Saturday night, they lost for zip. Yeah, hockey East is weird, folks. God, what a funky sport this is indeed. I Can I admit a bit of bias against Providence that uh, I'm not a big fan of the Friars? It, it, it might have something to do with uh, a game that happened not that long ago. Anyway, um... I'm not that big a fan of them, and I like the talent they have, but I don't see the uh, I don't see the Friars coming out of the conference as a uh, as a national contender. I I'm sorry if this sounds like I'm very much anti Providence, but I don't see it coming out of them. I don't want to handicap hockey East because at this point I, I'm I, I'm afraid I'm going to sound biased just the way I look at the conference. So. So I'm afraid to handicap hockey East at this point, but I see your point with Providence. Yeah, I mean, when they get on a roll scoring-wise, they got four goals in the first period and three in the second. So if they can get going, then they are a very hard team to beat. But the other thing to note is that they can cause problems for teams in the neutral zone. They only allowed RIT to shoot the puck four times on net in the third period and only gave up 24 shots on the game. But uh, Hayden Hockey, or excuse me, well, gave Mother Hill and Hayden Hockey split time in net, and they gave up between the two of them three goals on 24 shots. I don't really think that's, I think that's kind of concerning. In the second night, their goaltending really wasn't that good. They gave up four goals on eight, Team total shots, and they allowed RIT to shoot the puck only one time in the first. Excuse me, four times in the first period, and one of them went in. That's a terrible percentage. Uh, so 
I love Hayden Hockey, and when he's on, he can be a uh, he's a magnificent goaltender. But I guess I'm I just need to see a little bit more out of him as the season goes on for me to buy into Providence. It's been a a strange year for goalies with perfect names. Yeah, I mean, I mean Hayden Hockey is one. Who else do you have in mind? Tyler Wall. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, the name can only do so much for you at some level. Well, let's get on a more optimistic note. I've been talking about upsets throughout this episode. There have been a few of them in college hockey last weekend, and we've had kind of a running joke here this season, and it's not going to be here this week because Michigan State beat Michigan in one of their two games over the weekend. Congratulations to mighty Sparty after winning 5 nothing at home on Friday night. I'm sure that the Sparty fans partied hardy into the night after beating the Wolverines. You got to feel happy about that for them, especially since they're a talented team, but the Big Ten is absurdly deep. I think Notre Dame is pretty clearly the best team, but Michigan is uh, Michigan is fun. Michi- I don't have a stake in the rivalry. I don't think you do either for uh, whether or not you prefer Sparty or no, Michigan. No, not at all. I've just been I've, – I've said the phrase poor Sparty enough times that when, they're, when they oh, yeah. pull an upset in the Big Ten, I should probably point it out. Absolutely. I, I, I don't, don't want to sound like I dislike Michigan State. I don't, I don't have any reason to dislike either of these colleges. Yeah. Eh, maybe Don Brown's existence makes me a little <laughs> queasy about Michigan, but that's football. That's not hockey. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll only judge the hockey team as hockey teams. And uh, an impressive effort, all things considered. And a 29-shot save, uh, 29-save shutout for John Lathemic. Good job, dude. Uh, very happy to see Sparty get a victory, though. Uh, the other game that uh, that they had, oh, they only played the one game. They, I thought it was no, a two-game series. They played on Thursday they night. They played at Michigan on Thursday night and lost 4 nothing. Okay, there we are. That's both where it is around. But if it were soccer, they'd win on aggregate. <laughs> Do you want us to move that way where we have uh, a series decided on aggregate? No, but then again, I'm not a fan of shootouts in NCHC play either. Yeah, put me on that list of not really liking shootouts either that much, really. Also, Tony Calderon, a hat trick in that first game for uh, for the Wolverines. So, awesome job, dude. Like you said, Michigan's fun to watch, and they're kind of a team in transition. They had Red Berenson as their coach for... A long, long time. One of the one of the great program coaches that in college sports are unfortunately a dying breed. But he has served a long tenure at Michigan. He stepped down after last season, and they're kind of at new beginnings at at Yost. So that's a that's going to be an interesting team to watch throughout the season as well. And they're a bit up and down at times, as we saw this this last weekend, winning four nothing and losing four nothing. Like most teams, they're much better at home. Five, three, and one at home, two, four, and one away. And of course, it's hard to be anything but good at home when you play in Yost Ice Arena. Yeah, I mean, I'll just note about uh, about the great coach Berenson. He coached at Michigan from 1984 until 2017, a, a 653 winning percentage, 848 wins, 429 losses, one two national championships in 96 and 98 and they were a regular competitor throughout uh, uh throughout his time there and he also was quite successful with um uh with the blues for a very short time as or uh yeah with the blues as their head coach won the Smythe division in 81 and turns out he was a really good coach and maybe the blues shouldn't have let him go from uh from all those years ago but anyway it's interesting to see what Michigan is going to do because it's so hard to make the transition from a longtime coach. BU did it perfectly going from Jack Parker to David Quinn. I think Quinn is going to be around for a while. He might be the closest to a new program coach 
that we'll have for a long time. UNH is about to do that with uh, Umili handing the reins off. So we'll see if they can handle it. But I'm intrigued to see what Michigan does in uh, in their transition. I can, one I can year's see not. a few guys becoming program coaches, by the way. I could see Ted Donato yeah. staying at Harvard for a long, long time. Basically, anyone that went to the school they coached for, I could see just staying there for their whole career. Hint, hint, Jim Madigan, stay. Oh, Madigan is, Madigan is not leaving to go to the NHL. Um, he is there to play and win. Uh, that, that's his program. Norm Bazin at UMass Lowell is another guy who that program is built in his image. He is staying there for a very long time. Yo, well, Coach York is going to retire, I think, within the next two or three seasons, and then BC will have to, uh, uh, will have to adjust. But it's a, I think that I don't think that there's I think the notion of program coaches dying out. Not sure I agree with that. Just taking on different forms, though. Um, uh, there are some coaches that I think will end up heading up to uh, to the pro game, like uh, Jim Montgomery out at Denver. I don't think he's going to be the head coach at Denver for a very long time. It'll be interesting to see in the NHL how the how things happen after now that we've seen it doesn't look like Dave Haxtell is going to stay in Philly very long. I know Philadelphia well enough to know that when things go sour, the knives come out and people are already calling for Haxtell's head. So I can see him not lasting very long and we'll see the fallout of that because that was kind of a, an experiment in the NHL hiring the longtime coach from North Dakota to run the flyers. And at first it looked like a good idea that first year with Shane Gostas bear on the team, they were, they look like they might have something, but it's kind of fallen apart in Philly in a lot of ways, and he's going to end up hitting the bricks soon, and it's going to be kind of a thought experiment to see what the NHL does and see if that shies people away from calling other college coaches just because that one failed. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, we've seen it in other sports where it's really difficult to make the transition from the college game to the pro game. I mean, um, uh, Bobby Petrino failed miserably in transitioning to uh, to the pro game in Atlanta. Um, Lou Holtz struggled mightily in the transition, and even moving over to basketball, Billy Donovan is only okay as an NBA head coach, and he was a stellar uh, coach at Florida, winning consecutive national championships. Uh, in Gainesville, so it is very difficult to make the transition. And uh, I, I asked Dick Amelia about uh, if he ever thought about coaching the pro game, and he said, uh, "No, it's such a different kind of beast completely. It's a lot more business oriented than the college game, which is a lot more development oriented. So it's such a different skill set that uh, it, it's such a different style of game that it's really difficult, I think, for." any college coach to succeed there. I'd agree, especially with hockey. It just seems like the it's not only a big leap in talent and pressure and business and money and all the, all the things that come with all of that, but it just seems like the college game lends itself to the college game as far as coaching goes it's a great developmental spot for the player on his way up to the pros and the determined coach that spends a little time in college hockey and moves up through the assistant ranks in the nhl as former northeastern coach greg cronin's been doing that seems like a pretty valid strategy but i think it might be a while and it's unfortunate when sometimes when these guys become scapegoats for their entire profession and you mentioned a few in football and i'm sure we can think of a few more in basketball <laughs> um but i'm sorry he's not walking through that door why do i have to hide that rick patino um <laughs> hey i'm not about to disagree he though he did he was the guy who drafted paul pierce to the celtics i will forgive true. him that that's the uh, only thing i will forgive him for that's true. We did draft Paul Pierce. Credit credit where it's due in that, that regard. 
other than that, though. So we were we were talking about Michigan and Michigan State just to to transition to the rest of the Big Ten. Michigan and Michigan State will both be in action early on in the new year. They're going to be in the Pete's Arena playing the Great Lakes Invitational. So that will be one of the first big things to happen in the new year. Um, looking forward to that coming up in, in a few weeks, coming out of break. That'll be one of the big things coming out of break. Yeah, we're now getting into tournament season where um, uh, the Great Lakes is – that's a fun tournament to take a look at. and. <laughs> There's a lot of excitement to uh, to look forward to, and I love seeing. Uh, I, it would be nice to see Northern Michigan taking part in the Great Lakes, or uh, to make it an all Michigan thing. But uh, Bowling Green also a worthy opponent to take part in it, so that's going to be a lot of fun to pay attention to. And and then coming out of break, um, Three Rivers should be really interesting to take a look at. I want to see how Arizona State does playing in that kind of tournament on the road. They're going to play Providence and either Lake Superior or Robert Morris. So I want to see what Arizona State can do competing in that tournament. Counting out the, the real contenders in the country right now, real quick, Clarkson, Clarkson handled St. Lawrence, winning by two goals both nights. They won Friday night 3-1 to one at home. They won at St. Lawrence 4-2, to two, so Clarkson keeps it rolling. They avoid the upset bug that was going around college hockey this weekend, and they remain one of the strongest teams in the country. Jake Kiley is right now the leading candidate, well, competing with Cale Morris back and forth for the Richter Award, and they're unbeaten in the ECAC. Pretty easy to peg them as a uh, as a top team, so... They're going to be really fun to watch moving forward. Notre Dame, speaking of Cale Morris, had a great weekend sweeping Wisconsin at Wisconsin, winning 3-2 Friday night, winning 6-2 on Saturday night. So the Fighting Irish keep it rolling. They move up in the rankings. They're number three in the latest USCHO poll, and they're clearly in command of the Big Ten. Undefeated, not even tied. Not many times you're going to be able to uh, say that is their record for any level of it. And Wisconsin is a good team. They can they can play with anyone. They can play physical and they can play fast. But really, Kel Morris and Jake Evans are magnificent. It, it, it really is that simple. Those two are leading the way. And last year, I was about ready to say that uh, – it, pretty much that same thing, but replace them with Kyle Peterson and Anders Bjork. Evans, 28 points, 21 assists, both of those leading the nation. Seven goals, not too bad either. It's an outstanding team, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch what they, uh, what they end up doing with that nucleus of top-tier talent. Your new national number one in the latest poll is St. Cloud State. They've been there before. They're back after after Denver couldn't get a win against Colorado College in those two fantastic games we talked about earlier. Denver or um St. Cloud State went up. St. Cloud State had a great, great weekend against North Dakota at home at Herb Brooks Arena. They tied on the first night. They won the second night three to one. Uh, did I get that right? Yep, they won the second game three to one. Herb Brook Center might be uh, might be the hardest place to play on the road, especially if uh, especially in conference. And it, it is the state of hockey up there, so it's a really it's such a good team. And David Hrenek, great job in goal. Cam Johnson. Only faced 18 shots in that for uh, for North Dakota, led in three of them. So, not exactly this, not exactly the strongest output. And North Dakota outshot uh, St. Cloud in that second game. In the second period, 15 to six. In the third period, 11 to three. And they didn't get a goal until late in the second period. 
after they had already uh, thoroughly dominated. And what's even more amazing is that St. Cloud got all three of their goals in the second period. They only shot the puck six times in that period, and three of them went in. It's a really rough outing for a really good goalie in Cam Johnson. We don't want to sound like we're making fun of the guy. He's one of the best goalies in the country for most of the season. Just had a real tough second period. Three goals on six shots. Jeez. And it must be said the night before, 31 saves on 33 shots. He had a great night the night before. His offense ran into a hot goaltender. Jeff Smith played very well in St. Cloud's net. So it these are two great teams and it must be said that in the shootout following the 2-2 tie North Dakota ended up getting the shootout victory over uh St. Cloud so for whatever it's worth I mean we don't think that highly of the shootout but for what it's worth uh NDU got uh got the shootout victory and St. Cloud ends up coming with the tie and getting out of there with the uh with the victory the next night they're great. The, the shootout, I, I believe it counts for points in conference. Let's see how that actually, on that? I think it does count for something. Well, in the NCHC listing and the standings, there are shootout wins, and I think those do end up counting for points. So, yeah, it's like in the NHL. If you tie it, you get one point out of it. If you win the shootout, you get the second point out of it. And North Dakota currently has two shootout victories that has them at uh, 19 points if they didn't have those uh, those two extra points on the shootout wins they would be behind western michigan and denver for fourth place in the conference so as much as we like to make fun of the the shootout it's going to matter a lot in a loaded nchc where teams are so tight and there are so many really good teams those extra points are going to swing some some home ice advantage in their in their frozen face off. Oh goodness, yeah. I, I I don't like the shootout. It it does take uh it's it's a skills competition and not the most interesting of skills competition. Penalty shots are different because that's awarding a shot that was illegally taken away, but a a shootout is just it's not really hockey, so I can't count myself a fan of it, but good job to North Dakota for getting the shootout victory. Really quickly, we mentioned the Governor's Cup last week and the Alaska versus Alaska Anchorage matchup and how it was coming to a to a close for the year. The Governor's Cup has been awarded, and that goes to the Nanooks. It goes to the University of Alaska and they won seven to two at Anchorage on on Friday night to seal it, and then finished it off with a season sweep of their rivals, winning three to two on the road on Saturday night. So impressive showing for Alaska. I know they don't play a for a lot of trophies besides their own, but that makes that trophy matter so much more to them. So. That's a huge win for Alaska, and congratulations on winning the Governor's Cup. Well done, the Dukes. I'm very happy that uh, you guys provide us with some entertaining hockey, and please, please win. I, I, I really would love to see the story of an Alaska team going deep into the NCAA tournament. I don't think they have the team to do it this year, but if, if the Nanooks could develop and could, uh, could improve and make a run in the WCHA, that would be awesome. I, I would watch that, wouldn't you? I I would, and I could imagine that it it doesn't take that much of a team to have a tremendous home ice advantage when everyone's got to travel all the way out to Alaska. Sometimes in the dead of winter, when Alaska is about the last place anyone wants to be, and they're at home, they're they're they would be theoretically used to that, or at least as much as one could be. So that. I could see them at some point developing quite the home ice advantage. And I know they have in the past. They, this is not, you know, it's not always, they've not always been a complete afterthought in both of these schools. So uh, this year it's been kind of rough for the Alaska schools. It has been in recent years, but those in-state matchups, they always matter. Those local rivalries always matter. 
as local as you can be with that much space up there. Yeah, and again, good job to uh, good job to Alaska and Fairbanks for getting the victory, and best of luck to uh, to them on the rest of the uh, opportunities to compete in the WCHA. They're seventh in the in the conference right now, not that far behind Huntsville, and let let's see some upsets, people. I like these upsets. It's, a, it's an interesting WCHA in general this year. We've mentioned Minnesota State, who's been excellent throughout, and they're currently ranked number seven. So right now, there's a WCHA team that's ranked higher than anyone in hockey East. So it says something about how far that conference has come after being completely gutted in realignment when the Big Ten came into, into being. And I, I know that eats at them a little bit. But what a good year for, for Mankato. They're having a – it's just an interesting conference this year in general with – even though Minnesota State is the highest-ranked team in the conference, they have the best record overall in the conference, they're actually a point behind Bowling Green for first place in the conference. Yeah, Bowling Green's having an interesting run of it so far. They've got uh... – their record overall not as good. Minnesota State nine and three in conference and eleven five overall. The, the Bowling Green overall record is eight five and six ties. That tells me that they are in a lot of games. It's worth noting they have played three more games than the Mavericks, and uh, for conference games they've played two more than the Mavericks. Seven wins, two losses, five ties, and they have two shootout victories as well. So yes. The WCHA does shootouts in uh, in addition to the to the NCHC, and I think yep, the Big Ten does it too. So apparently, this whole shootout thing is a Western idea, and the East doesn't do that. Not, I can't say I'm really opposed to uh, to that whole idea, but they've tied a lot of their games. They've been in almost all of them, and uh, they'll they'll be hard to play against as uh, as is consistently to be expected but i think the mavericks are a better team than bowling green but won't be shocked if the if bowling green puts on a good run late late into the year i can say this about the shootout especially as it applies to the wcha there are some schools out west with not to say the east doesn't have them there are some rabid fan bases out west and in the wcha i think of minnesota state bowling green has one to a degree and Michigan Tech, anyone you talk to from Michigan Tech will talk your ear off about hockey. They are they're insane up there in at Michigan Tech up in the in the UP as they call it. So I can imagine going to those arenas and not wanting to come home without a result. Oh, I, I totally get that. I I really do. I understand it. It's just I wish there were a slightly different way to uh, to settle all this because, I mean, I, if it were me, I would go Stanley Cup rules and just play until you have no more legs, but I know that's not really practical. Yeah, I'd, I'd be for that too, but it would just, especially on the college level, it would exhaust some goalies by the second night of a home-and-home and, home, and yeah. played two overtimes the first night. It's... It would either exhaust a bunch of goalies or it'd get backups more work. Either way, it wouldn't be great for goaltending in, in college hockey. No offense, any backup goaltenders listening to this. You're certainly better at that than I'll ever be. I will second the uh, that, that, that notion. Um, and the WCHA schedule, because the teams are so spread out, you have to play two games in the same place on back-to-back -back nights. So they have to play either Friday, Saturday, or uh, Saturday, Sunday meetings. So there's no way around it for just the way the conference is set up, especially the WCHA teams go to the Alaska schools. I mean, I'm looking at the Bowling Green schedule. Here are their last two weekends. The schedule for the month of February. They host Michigan Tech on the 2nd and 3rd, then they are in Anchorage to play the Seawolves on the 15th and 16th. And then they are in Huntsville to play uh, 
at Alabama Huntsville on the 23rd and 24th. You need some kind of results because uh, that that's brutal scheduling. It is, and just a preview of what we're going to be doing next week. There's a realignment special coming up. That's what we're going to be doing over the break. Is we're going to be breaking down how to get some of these teams in conference that really need a lighter travel schedule and really need conferences of their own. And the first one that comes to mind for me is Alabama Huntsville, who has to travel all over the place because there's no one else in the South and all over the place includes they're in the same conference inexplicably as the two Alaska schools. So people have to travel both from Alaska to Huntsville and Huntsville has to go all the way to Alaska. That's farther than any team in any pro sport has to travel to go to a game. It's the dumbest setup for any conference in all of college sports. It is absolutely the dumbest placement for any of them in any capacity, and I that needs to be changed somehow. I won't give away how I would change it right now. Tune into the to the alignment special of a break, but holy crap, that the, the WCHA has to be improved improved upon with uh, with changing that up a little bit. Yeah, and they'll be they'll be another one of the targets of that special as well because they got they got it rough the last time college hockey realigned. So when we do this, I know I'll be thinking about how to how to make it easier for the WCHA and how to get them a realignment that they can get behind as well. So that'll be coming up next week. This week, we we went through the schedule pretty basically. There aren't that many games on it. There are three top 10 teams playing. We've talked about all those games. Michigan Tech and Lake Superior State are going to play each other in Houghton, and that's going to be quite a matchup. Those teams hate each other. Uh, rivalries, aren't, aren't they the best parts, of, uh, best parts of all this? I mean, th- those are two ancient powers, and I think it's really interesting how the upper peninsula of Michigan is an ancient hub of college hockey because between Lake State, Michigan Tech, and Northern Michigan, you have seven national championships between those three schools. Yeah, that's the from from before certain things happened in college hockey, to say the least, but. Not that long ago, Lake Superior State was winning titles in the 90s. Jim Montgomery lost one to him. Yeah, the Montgomery and the and uh, the Black Bears of Maine have some battles. Blake State in 94 beat my school, Boston University. Jack Parker lost out uh, on national championships to both Lake Superior and Northern Michigan. Uh, Northern Michigan is hosting Ferris State this weekend, but the Rivalry game is the is the Lakers hosting Tech, so rivalries are always fun to watch. Um, the only game on the schedule that I'm circling and paying attention to is the one that I'm going to, um, four o'clock on Saturday, Northeastern at Merrimack. So that'll be fun. And we've talked about that. That should be an interesting game. It it would be great to see Northeastern go into the break on a high note after having. As I've pointed out before, they have a real—they've had a really bad habit in recent years of starting the season slowly. That was not true this time around. They've had—they had a great start to the season. They're going—they're likely to finish the calendar year in the top ten, but they have to take care of business on the road against Merrimack, and then they're off on break until. December 30th when they play American International College at Matthews Arena. So they, if they can take care of business, they should be able to finish the calendar year in the top 10. And that is a huge milestone for the Jim Madigan program that generally turns on the Jets after the new year. That's going to be scary. So that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, Madigan and the uh, and the attack of Gaudet and Sakura is going to be scary. Just just handle your business. Uh, go out and win games that you really should win, and Huskies will be in the hunt for a conference title this year. 
And that right there is why I can't handicap hockey east. I I think I'd be just too I I'd be too ready to say, well, they tend to play better once the year changes over. And if that trend continues, they're already the highest ranked team in that conference. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because people that have followed that Northeastern program for this long, you can't. You just can't. It's, even though things are changing, they still haven't finished changing yet. There's a lot of hockey left to play. There is so much hockey left to, uh, left to play this season. We'll be back next week with the realignment special. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you had a great end of the semester. For those of you in school, I hope your finals went well. I hope you're celebrating the end of finals responsibly. Have fun. If your school's playing hockey this weekend, go to the game. Everyone loves these arenas. And right before the break, and I know you know this, Chris, right before the break, these arenas can get depressingly empty. So if you're still on campus and it's right before break and your team happens to be on campus too, please go to the arena, make some noise, show everyone that, that college hockey's still alive right before the end of the, right before the end of the calendar year. So you can go out on break with a little hockey right under your belt. I so, so hope that Merrimack fans show up and uh, make themselves known uh, that uh, I so hope that uh, that ends up uh, it ends up being awesome. So this should I be. I expect there should be some traveling Northeastern fans there in large part because of how co-op schools work. There are going to be people that are working all the way all, almost all the way up until Christmas. So they're going to be on and around campus. So maybe they'll take the bus up to to Merrimack. So I imagine the doghouse might be in full force, but I'd like to see Merrimack show up for that as well. Oh yeah. I would love to see it. I, I just want to see people appreciate this sport as, uh, as much as we can. This has been puck university. Enjoy the break, everybody. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Please subscribe to us anywhere you get podcasts for Chris Lynch. Everybody. Keep your head up and your hits clean.